Okay, so uh, do you want to just start and... Uh... Uh, what's, <laughs> what's the name of the podcast? I was honestly just thinking uh, SNL, A Look Back, or A Look Back at SNL, because they have that famous short movie with belushi don't look back in anger yeah i'm fine with that uh can i can i pitch an idea to you yeah absolutely i I would like to pitch that we call it snl hell because i think as we continue to go through these you will feel like you're in it yeah but there's also good stuff though too right of course uh Um, but it is it's going to be like levels of it i don't necessarily okay. mean it's all bad of course no you know it's kind of like uh, i was thinking like dante's inferno kind of thing and there's all these different levels of it um and, and it's all kind of a it, I, I didn't mean hell like like this is trash okay just, like it rhymed and there was different levels of it okay yeah no let's uh or s and hell oh oh that's good okay ooh, let's S-N-Hell. call it that okay <laughs> that 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 spoke to me i popped a little okay cool and can I can I subtitle it? <laughs> yeah, of course. Okay. <laughs> I'll look back. It's S in Hell, a look back at Saturday Night Live with your hosts, Matt, D, and Keith. Brought to you by Lion's Den Audio Theater. Like and subscribe to Lion's Den Audio Theater for more Lion's Den goodness. And here are your hosts, Keith, D, and Matt. And this is episode one of Saturday Night Live with uh, host George Carlin, and it originally aired on 11 October 1975. May I introduce our plan? For sure. Uh, we'll start at the beginning and we'll talk about episode one. Our host is George Carlin. Tell us what you know about George Carlin and what you think of George Carlin. For me, um, I'm 27 years old. So Mm -hmm. for me, George Carlin was the face of like atheism and anti-establishment. So for me, this was my first time seeing his stand-up as opposed to just his political opinions that you kind of see at the surface of the internet now. So that was interesting for me. Cool. Yeah, no, he uh, he's it's it's funny. I mean, the person that introduced me to George Carlin would be they'd be in their 80s now if they were still living. And, uh, you know, I know even my kids have seen some of the memes on the Internet. So he's definitely spanned the generations. Yeah, absolutely. Matt, you have a background in in comedy. What's your thoughts on Mr. Carlin? I'm not a big George Carlin fan. I, I find it a little abrasive. I find it a little I'm smarter than you, a little patronizing. I um, It just rubs me the wrong way. And I think it's a real, sometimes it's just, uh, yeah, yeah it's just, I'm not a fan. What do you want me to say? My first memory of him is dressed all in black. You know, he had the black sweater, the black pants. That's when he had the silver hair and the little ponytail. And he was like going back and forth across the stage. And, you know, it didn't feel like comedy to me. Doesn't George Carlin to me doesn't feel like comedy, which was actually, okay, my first memories of George Carlin. They certainly didn't feel like comedy. Felt like I was watching lectures and I didn't, uh, I, I couldn't get into it. And you know what? Here I am, however, God, many years later. And it still kind of feels that way to me, and I still can't get into it. I'm not a George Carlin fan. Let's see, Janice Ian, you guys have uh, much prior knowledge. We'll talk about her performances in a bit. 
Uh, I knew that Janice Ian, uh, speaking of late night TV, one of my favorite things that, uh, I would always see on late night TV growing up, I, you know, we're, we're doing this podcast could be like late night TV. Um, I loved time life infomercials. I could watch time life best sounds of the seventies infomercials for three hours. And sometimes I would, cause they would just loop them. So I'm there on the internet, you know, in chat rooms and shit. And the time life commercials are just playing in the background. And, uh, Janice Ian's at 17 is a presence on all of these. So that's how I knew the song, uh, or rather that's how I knew Janice Ian pretty much like how anybody who knows Janice Ian, uh, unless they lived through Janice Ian, knows Janice Ian. <laughs> e, did you know Janice Ian? I had absolutely no idea who she was until I watched this. Yeah. And now, since yesterday, I've been going down a little bit of a rabbit hole um, because I'm really interested in her. And she definitely wasn't somebody that I grew up with. She was, in my opinion, like a little bit ahead of ahead of her time. I feel For like sure. if she, this music came out now, it would be I'd be bopping to it. Absolutely. Um, Billy Preston, any prior knowledge of Mr. Preston? None, none for me. Uh, D, any? I don't think I have any prior knowledge either. I know Billy Preston as the quasi fifth Beatle. Um, he was asked by Lennon almost to join the Beatles. Um, he was a friend of Harrison's as well. McCartney nixed it, but he plays piano on, uh, let it, uh, I think he's at the let it be concert, but he does the really cool, uh, the really cool piano bit on, uh, get back. Andy Kaufman, of course, and Valerie Bromfield. She wasn't a name I knew right away. She did the high school skit. Was that her? Yeah. I guess she was an early comedy partner of uh, of Dan Aykroyd's. I guess her her influence in my life, um, and, 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 and certainly Matt's as well, she was uh, one of the uh, main producers behind Kids in the Hall. So. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Gosh, I didn't know that. No, it's just, it's a name I didn't recognize, but uh, I guess she was a, a mover and shaker for those guys. Good. Wonderful. Yeah. One of my favorites. Do you want to jump into the show? Yes. Yeah. All right, sweet. Saturday Night Live, the first cold opening features Michael O'Donohue and John Belushi. A lot of the recaps online talk about it as a ESL class, but I, I to me it just looks like a random encounter between a foreign guy and, a, and, a, and, a, and an American guy, um, where they're just... Uh, the American guy says something, the foreign guy repeats it, and he just keeps repeating it until comedy ensues. Um, what was your thoughts on this very first skit on the very first Saturday Night Live? I thought it was a little bit silly. It's definitely, <laughs> in a way, it was like a good introduction point as like, yeah, this is going to be a comedy show. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if it like really hit for me. It was like a five out of ten for me. I think, you know what, Uh, I didn't love it, but what an apropos start, because Saturday Night Live's, you know, when we sometime in 2032 get to the end, we're going to (laughs) look back and we're going to be like, you know what, what an appropriate first skit ever, because Mm. it wasn't a home run and you were like, huh, that's cute, I guess. And it's going to feel right. Yeah. Yeah, and um, like Michael O'Don- Michael O'Donohue came from the Lampoon. He was a uh, when Graham Chapman died with the uh, with uh, Monty Python. A friend said he was the one true anarchist of the group, and I guess that's Michael O'Donohue. I think both of you would be super interested in a book about Michael O'Donohue uh, called Mr. Mike. He was a crazy man in 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 a good way and in a bad way. So it's worth looking at. And after the skit, or in the middle of the skit, Chevy Chase enters. And says the the familiar refrain of live from New York at Saturday night. 
It felt right. Yeah, I was into it. I thought it felt good. I thought it was, uh, uh, to use a wrestling term, I popped a little. I've become so used to the cold opens as these longer bits. So it's just like bang, bang, we're in, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. You know? um, and then uh, the unsung hero of Saturday Night Live, announcer Don Pardo. Golden Voice, Don Pardo uh, uh, features on a uh, Frank Zappa record. He comes out and uh, he does a little shtick on the Illinois Enema Bandit. Great voice. That man died in his sleep when he was 96. That's so and, peaceful. And I think he worked right up till the end, eh? Yeah. It looks like it, yeah. Yeah, he did. I think there is a period in the middle where there's no Don Pardo, but he he pretty much spans the whole show. He may have done more episodes than Lauren Michaels himself up to the point of his passings. So uh, it's great to see him. The opening, I mean, obviously it's changed, but to me, I don't know if you guys agree or not, but the look and the tone stayed pretty consistent. Yeah, mm-hmm. and this was this is a uh, you know the 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 credits in the in this uh, early first season are, are really cool. I love yeah. the aesthetic. The music is cool. The filters are cool. It's just, it has such a cool vibe. It I, feels I like it. Saturday night. Yeah. It really does. That's a great point. It feels exactly like the show still feels today, even though it's different. I noticed in the credits, both Michael O'Donohue and George Coe were credited. And I think that will sort of cycle. I, I think this is the only time Coe ever gets the credit. But uh, O'Donohue only gets it, I think, when he appears. Because when we think of the original cast, we don't include those guys. Right. Never. I never knew. So next up, we go to a uh, George Carlin, the first monologue. He says he was stoned, and uh, I think it's kind of obvious. It is he, very obvious. I it is obvious. Okay. D- did you know he was stoned, or is that just... Did you just think it from his... No, I didn't know. I was like, something is <laughs> off here. Like, it feels like he's kind of all over the place. I have it in my notes. It's like, this man is kind of like all over the place, jumping from one thing to one thing. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's because uh, he does the, the football versus baseball routine, which in my opinion is funny. Mm-hmm. But I've heard it done. He's done it better in other places. Like, it, it seemed kind of odd. You know, when you get like a live bootleg of a song and it just yeah. doesn't sound as good as the studio. That's how I felt um, every time he talked. So uh, apparently he was forced to wear a suit. He 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 had abandoned suits quite a while before. Um, they made him wear a suit, but he kept the T-shirt underneath. So <laughs> Good for him. Um, anything specific about the, the monologue? I mean, it's the first one. It's uh, It just seems like a regular stand-up bit to me, and it, he wasn't as good as he is elsewhere, is my opinion on that. Uh, indeed, Keith. I didn't care for it at all. Okay. I, uh, I, I just thought it was just really some, like, shitty nightclub stand-up comedy. Mm. There was nothing special about it, and he didn't do it well. Now we jump to our first commercial. It's New Dad Insurance, featuring Chevy Chase, Dan Aykroyd, and Chevy Chase's then-girlfriend, Jacqueline Carlin, who is no relation to George. She later married Chevy Chase, and she also married intended Manson victim Terry Melcher later in life. And uh, Terry Melcher, of course, co-wrote Kokomo for the Beach Boys. Um, My opinion on this, fun skit, good first commercial. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, and uh, the historically, SNL uh, commercials are, are for me one of the things that they just do best. It's mm. it, they weirdly excel at them almost, almost uh, across the board. Of course, there's some duds, sure. but but uh, what a staple and what a fun first one. And uh, I just thought everybody was good in it. I really like this cast and. 
you know, they're not stars yet. And I think you feel that. I feel that. Mm-hmm. And I just thought it was exciting. It's exciting to watch them in this. For me, it wasn't really memorable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't write anything down beside it. Sure. Um, but I do remember thinking that it was clever. And clever is enough for the first one for me. Yeah. It's funny, Matt. You mentioned, like, they are young. These guys are in their early 20s, most of them. Crazy. Um, like, I think Lorraine Newman was 22. Um, what? She, yeah, she might have been the youngest. Wow. I mean, these guys were babies, you yeah. know. Of course, it's hard to look at anyone from the 70s and think they're 20, you know. <laughs> 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 okay, and then we go to uh, we go to Billy Preston. He sings Nothing for Nothing. This absolutely slapped for me. To hmm. me, this song encompassed, like, black joy and, I don't know, I didn't realize that Saturday Night Live, to be honest, I expected to come into it being like, there's not enough representation from the types of people that I Mm -hmm. look for now. Um, Mm -hmm. But I did. I did find that. And his outfit was bomb. Everything (laughs) about it. (laughs) It was. It slapped. I loved it. Um, Yeah, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. And again, seeing that Black Joy, like on episode one of Saturday Mm -hmm. Night Live, like, that really set the tone for me of how much it would contribute to black people. And I just love that. The music seems more representative than the, uh, than the comedy. Am I wrong in that or? No, you're absolutely right. It is uh, definitely more around music and it makes sense because mm-hmm. I think at that time, um, at least I wasn't alive at that time, but sure. from what I um, have seen, it seems like black people were trying to establish themselves more seriously in music. They weren't really at the forefront of comedy in that exact moment. For sure. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how they integrate into it and how it kind of switches uh, mm-hmm. later on. Yeah. And it's, I mean, even up to today, I mean, it's only recently there was a, there was a, you know, big news stories about not having uh, African-American females mm-hmm. on as comedians. Cause I mean, it's going to that's going to be an interesting evolution and and I will argue maybe devolution at certain points where yeah. it uh, it definitely goes back to uh beforehand. Matt, what did you think of Billy Preston? Uh yeah, I loved it. I was unfamiliar yeah. with the music and uh it kicked ass. I think uh you know, at some point especially when it started Saturday Night Live was a cool show and mm-hmm. uh it will go as you guys just discussed. It will go through its phases of when it's cool and when it blows. Uh, but certainly when it started, Saturday Night Live was cool. It has mm-hmm. a cool vibe. This is a cool showcase. The song is awesome. Uh, home run. Home run for this first musical performance. Yeah, absolutely. Like, this is not my genre at all, but I loved this performance. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I, I Energetic. Um you know, it, it's funny I, when I think of after 1230 or 1230 for us in, in, in Eastern Canada, Atlantic Canada, but 1130, it's, it, it's almost ballsy, especially that early to put something so upbeat and happy at bedtime, you know, so <laughs> I commended them for that too. <laughs> so we go to a skit. It's a courtroom. Chevy Chase cross-examining or actually direct examining Jane Curtin, um, where a man said something disgusting to her in a back alley. Curtin won't repeat it, but writes it down. The note that she writes is passed around the courtroom, and comedy ensues. How did this one sit with you guys? I did not think that it was funny. It was like a 2 out of 10 for me. It felt Mm -hmm. really cheap, like a cheap kind of laugh. Um, 
too much left to the imagination of the viewer, um, mm-hmm. which made it not hit for me. Agree. Amateur hour. Yeah. You need to work on that. Get your shit together. This is not what's going to sustain the show. Complete misfire. This one looked like something from the uh, reject bin from Laugh-In, or, or even something older than that. It, it was kind of out of place. The fun note for me, did you notice who was in the jury, Matt and D? No. No. Richard Belzer was one of the <gasps> uh, extras in the jury. That's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Does Munch. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, John Munch does absolutely nothing. Our next bit is the Andy Kaufman Mighty Mouse bit. I, I laughed when I first saw it. I, I laugh every time I see it, even though I know it's coming. I laugh every time. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking about it and I'm grinning. This is five star comedy. I love it. I love it. It's classic television. It's one of the, my favorite TV moments of all time. I think it's brilliant. I'm sorry. I'm already laughing. I'm literally <laughs> crying. Like that is peak comedy to me. It was 10 yeah. out of 10 for me. It was my first time seeing it and it was so good. It was just so good. He was so funny. Yeah, this is this is gold. Um, I, I respect people that don't like Andy Kaufman, but to me, this was this is, I mean, comedy. I, I I'm like you guys. I, I'm laughing and just thinking about it. Um, I'm still laughing. <laughs> like it, it doesn't get any better than that. Something something that you can laugh at. I can look back at all these funny skits and be like, yeah, that was funny. But they don't yeah. make me laugh because I'm not watching them. I can mm-hmm. just think of this and get a chuckle. Yeah, yeah. It's like a song. It's a, it is a song, but you know yeah. what I mean. It's like <laughs> it's still like a. I know it is a song, but it's like comedy as a song that you can play back a little comedy skit in your head. So George Carlin, he does another set, uh, sort of random observational stuff. Um, I found it funny. Certainly not Carlin at his best, but I found it all right. Um, for me, again, I don't know. George Carlin like doing his stand up in a host position. It feels like a rapid fire, like he's shoving his comedy down my throat and that I don't like it. I just don't like it. I rated it a four out of ten in my notes. My opinion of George Carlin has not changed. It will not change. I don't really like it. I don't get the humor. Uh, and, you know, there's always and this is uh, not to go off topic, but there's always that guy. Hey, I thought you were a comedian, you know, like George Carlin. Like, go mm. fuck yourself. Go, there's those guys are out there. Those people are out there. Yeah, you don't have to like like because you tell jokes that you have to like every com- famous comedian. Anyway, I'm sorry. I, I just I don't like George Carlin. I don't. He doesn't make me laugh, and he's supposed to. So you know he, that doesn't work for me. Sure. Next up, I have uh, Janice Ian singing at seventeen. I'd like to hear. Uh, I'd like to hear what D says first. This had super soft vibes, which didn't work for the first episode of Saturday Night Live. Mm -hmm. I wanted to continue with the energy of, like, the last musical performance. Um, But she didn't give me that. So I rated that a 3 out of 10. I just, I wanted way more energy from her. But if if, if it was taken out and I listened to it by itself, I would have loved it so much more. I I thought... It was. Uh, I thought it was tremendous. I mm-hmm. I loved the performance, and I I do disagree that I thought its placement in the show was a okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I'd like to explain why I think that. I guess because I I think 
that maybe, I mean, Dee's going into this a hell of a lot fresher than I am. So I approach Saturday Night Live, even as I watch the first episode again, with certain expectations. Uh just by accident, you know, I'm mm. not trying. Uh, but one of the expectations, I guess, subconsciously I go in with is that the musical performances, they they exist unto themselves. They can be whatever I want. I can, they, they can really just take those five minutes and the, they exist on, you know, apart from the show, you know what I'm trying to say. And uh, I think they do that so often going forward and i think saturday night live will always do that and that they will always you know have these just in the middle of you know laugh 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 weekend update laugh and then some like weird creepy ballad and i almost think that that feels like uh an integral part of late night television to me late night television is kind of off balance uh so i like that it's off balance. And I like that Saturday Night Live can, will, does uh, drop these weird five-minute performances that exist unto themselves in the middle of the show. I think this was no exception. But I do know that they just do that forever. So maybe that's why I was more okay with it. I don't know. Janice and I thought she was awesome. Dee's right. She was ahead of her time. Could have been a bigger star in a different era. Uh, beautiful voice, great song, totally A-OK with its placement on the show. One of my favorite parts of episode one was this at 17. It's funny, I'm I'm kind of in the middle um, with you guys. Um, I thought it was, yeah, a great live performance that was obviously live. Tremendous song that people still love. Um, and yeah, I, I wrote here even before our talk that Janice Ian was kind of a, a rarity at that point. I mean, we're talking... We're, 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 we're in the disco style. We're in the disco time now. And I kind of likened her to Tracy Chapman. Remember Tracy Chapman's, uh, as a fast mm-hmm. car mm-hmm. In, in 87, like all these people doing crazy techno stuff. And she showed up with a guitar. Um, I wonder with the placement, if it's, uh, if it was a drop in energy to sort of give people a little break before they went into the second part of the show and got things ramped up a bit more. Um, Maybe, but I don't like that they made the assumption of that for the audience. What's next? Shark bite. Oh, then yeah, I don't think it was. I don't think there was any thought. No, oh, okay. About that, if shark bites next, if I could, if weekend update was next, I could see it. So yeah, thumbs up from. Well, we all like Janice Ian, I think. Uh, just yeah. The, yeah. Timing might be off. So we're going to shark bite now. Uh, Jane Curtin interviews John Belushi, who uh, claims to have survived a shark attack. Um, But uh, Belushi might not be entirely on the level. Goofy might have worked, in my opinion, might have worked better after we got to know these guys a bit more. But uh, I don't know. I just rolled my eyes. I thought this was just just another amateur hour filler. I I Mm. didn't... uh... I'm like, uh, uh, you know, I it was like Sensible Chuckle magazine. It's, you know, this is national television. I know this is, you know, a, an edgy new show. I know you're on late at night, but I mean, you know, it's it's not the 1600. This is low comedy. This is <laughs> comedy. I don't know. This was definitely filler for me. I never use the word lazy like loosely, and I felt <laughs> this is very lazy, and I felt like filler. You could have dragged out, like, another song. You could have done so many other things, but you gave me this. And it felt like 
maybe a five-year-old would find it funny. Um, yeah, it's yeah. really am. It's 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 kids' humor. That's what it yeah. felt like. It felt like a kids' joke. Yeah, it it yeah. You can't do that on television or something. <laughs> yeah. It kind of gave me the vibe though, as like a, a spiritual successor to John Lovitz's Liar. Then we go to another commercial, uh, Jamatol, where Chase talks about his wife, played by Mike Do- Michael Donahue, with no costume or wig or anything, <laughs> and and how uh, Jamatol uh, gives uh, gives him energy. This one, <laughs> I laughed. <laughs> um, a lot of the write-ups say like chase and o'donohue are are portraying a a gay couple which i guess technically it 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 was but to me it just seemed like mike o'donohue was just standing there and decided not to wear a costume or they decided just not i maybe i looked at it at the wrong level because he was just like this is my wife and it was just some guy in a brown sweater you know i i laughed at this one i i don't know uh are you guys on with me or kind of like yeah. I didn't really find it funny um uh-huh. but for me it felt like it didn't feel like a gay couple and it didn't feel like he had forgot his costume mm-hmm. it just felt like he was representing as a female without changing anything aesthetically about himself yeah and I really yeah like that about it I like that they did that and it didn't really feel like it was part of the joke um and I liked that mm-hmm. that's all I- yeah I, I wasn't well but I mean I, I think again I I exhaled sharply, nasally, but uh, I, I certainly didn't hate it like I did uh, the the uh, shark bite sketch or anything. Uh, th- this is the kind of humor I think that, that they'll develop a lot more going forward. Sure. Uh, th- th- this feels like a good, almost like a, I don't want to say like a test run because it was on TV, but you know what I mean? Like this is yeah. the kind of style and kind of thing that they're going to make more fun later i almost think this was like a necessary like yeah okay that was like haha but uh do you know what i'm trying to say keith like it's uh i do this is the development of of a comedy that they haven't quite mastered yeah i think it's funny i think this is i don't know for sure but i would be willing to bet that this was michael o'donohue wrote this and basically said like okay i'm just gonna stand there and be your wife and i'm not changing anything um just uh, just weird stuff like I know there's a skit with uh, Christopher Walken later where he mentions his 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 wife is a bobcat and <laughs> it really like it doesn't I mean it eventually plays into it but not really you know it's like you know his wife could have not been home or his wife could have just been played by a walk on or something yeah, absolutely, but, yeah. yeah it's just weird for the kind of sake of weird um, I agree and like yeah. if you did it now. I feel like it would just go over my head. I would just be like, that person identifies as a female. But, like, mm-hmm. watching it for the time that it was in, um, yeah. yeah, I was definitely a little bit confused. I was like, is the joke that they're gay? Like, is the joke that they're trans? Like, what is... Yeah. Where is the joke here? Other than the fact that it's called Jamatal. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just... I don't know. The way I took it was just they just didn't bother casting anyone else. So. <laughs> Yeah, which, I mean, that's funny in its own right. So, yeah, I I enjoy that. It's almost Andy Kaufman-esque in a way. Yes, yeah, it is. Um, So then we see a promo for next week with Paul Simon. That'll be covered in episode two. And then we get the first weekend update. Chevy Chase, uh, what are your thoughts on the very first weekend update? Um, I thought that, oh, okay, let me just start at the beginning. 
I don't think that this aged as well as I don't know if they had that in mind. Like, how will this age even in a year from now? Because I don't think it aged well. Um, Chevy also lost his place, which is fine. Like, it's the first episode, but it also kind of like ripped me out of it. Um, but Lorraine Newman, when they cut to her, I thought she <laughs> I thought she was absolutely hilarious. I loved her. She could have talked for longer. Like, I loved that. Yeah, I agree with uh, D. Lorraine Newman was the star of this segment for me. And uh, not unlike how I kind of feel about the uh, episode as a whole, spoiler alert, uh, this is something that I, I kind of going in, I thought this was going to be funnier than it was. And uh, it, it didn't really hit for me. And, you know, I'm not, you know, any jokes about Gerald Ford or contemporary Amer- American politics in the mid to late 1970s. You know, they're not going to be home runs. Uh, which is fine. SNL continues to do topical humor that's going to date poorly. It's obviously just a thing that they do. And uh, it's perfectly fine that that's part of their philosophy. But hey, when we look back later, just uh, it's not going to be where you where you chuckle as much later. And I don't know. Yeah, I just thought uh, I just thought I just thought it was going to be better. I get, I get my expectations were pretty high and they were probably too high, to be fair. It was fine. No, I think we're all on the same page with that one. Um awkward it was funny at times but it wasn't quite weekend update yet the uh the commercial in the middle that's something we don't see anymore um i haven't seen for many many years i i think that that breaks it up like any any moment yeah i like it yeah Yeah. like i wish they would do that more Uh, because i mean i think weekend update is a brilliant segment it can be you know they can make that shit a half hour for all i care but Mm -hmm. and i think the uh fake commercials in the middle of weekend update really i think help take you somewhere and it really it almost lulls you into like wow i'm watching a real show there's there's a mental trickery to it uh, i i wish they still did it my favorite short gag was the uh the guest stay at the blaine hotel did you notice that no so lorraine newman was reporting from the murder scene at the blaine hotel and yes. then they they, yeah, they cut to commercial, and it comes back, and Don Pardo's like, guests of Saturday Night Live stay at the Blaine Motel. Blaine <laughs> We're all on the same page about the first update. Not not there yet. Uh, so, yeah, the commercial is for triopening, um, an arthrit- arthritis medication bottle that can't be opened. I've seen this joke. I, I don't know if these guys did it first, but I've seen this joke like a thousand times done by different <laughs> people. The child-proof bottle. Like, it's funny because it's always going to be relevant, but at the Mm -hmm. same time, it makes me angry. Like, arthritis companies, like pill companies, fuck Mm -hmm. you. I'm a disabled (laughs) adult, and I would like to get into my pain medication. Um, And then we come to the Muppets. Oh, gosh. Um, These are special adult Muppets that were designed for Saturday Night Live. Obviously, you recognize the voices, Jim Henson, Jerry Nelson, Frank Oz. Thought it was pretty low rent for me. I thought it was misguided. I get what they're trying to do, and I almost appreciate the effort, but uh, it's it's a it's a no from me, dog. Yeah, they made a mistake here. Um, some things about it were really funny, like Scrat's voice is absolutely hilarious. Putin's aesthetic is everything, but I just didn't think it was funny. Like it doesn't really the puppetry doesn't really fit into Saturday Night Live. Like it could be its own show and mm-hmm. I could respect it as that. Um, but if this is gonna continue, I'm not gonna be vibing with it. They're trying too hard to make it a variety show. Like too much. They're trying too hard for the variety and their variety show. 
Yeah, they're very much throwing everything against the wall and seeing what sticks right now. And, uh, yeah, um, to me, these Muppets were – it just wasn't funny. They didn't go far enough to be edgy, and they're not cute and cuddly for kids. This was this was a huge flop for me. And, uh, yeah, let's get used to them because they're going to be around for a while. At least the puppet design is cool. I'll give them that. Yeah, absolutely. The puppet and the set design I liked as well. Um, but, uh, yeah – Jesus. Um, back to another George Carlin uh, observational bit. Uh, uh, ditto to before, as far as George Carlin, for me. Um, you know, funny but not as best as where I'm at. I don't like the host format here in this first episode either. Just him rolling him out to do these little stand-up bits and sure. not having him do anything else. Uh, I'm glad that that's not the way. That's not a winning formula. Uh, they'll figure that out, and it doesn't work here. I don't think. Mm. So next we go on to the Albert Brooks movie. Um, Albert Brooks, uh, has he, he's been around forever. Um, it's Super Dave's brother and the voice of uh, Nemo's dad in Finding Nemo. Most fondly remembered by me as Jacques. Yes, that's Mar- right. Marge's uh, illicit affair from Barney's Bolorama. Life in the yeah. Fast. He was Serpico or Scorpio or whatever. Remember the boss? He's done a few Saturday Night Lives, hasn't he? Or sorry, uh, Simpsons. Yes, he is. Uh, he was. He's definitely a, a Simpsons on around, around the Simpsons kind of guy. Mm-hmm. So he's doing these series of uh, short movies. I guess Brooks was asked to actually be the regular show host at one point. Um, I, I read that. Yeah, I remember that. And he may have. I, you know, it's one of these things where a thousand people credit. A thousand people want the credit, but he may have been the one to actually suggest that they just have revolving hosts every week. He says he was. Lauren Michael says he wasn't. So this goes through, uh, you know, a series. It's called uh, The Impossible Truth. And it's a series of weird things that are happening in the world. Um, I, I have a feeling this would have been a lot funnier at the time. Um but there's like a, a, a blind cabbie who still does 40 hours a week. Georgia and Israel decide to agree to change places. Um, and one skit that would never air or one bit that would never air today is the age of consent is lowered in Oregon. And there's a, a man played by Brooks's brother Cliff on a date with a small child. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, what's uh, this didn't do it for me. But what are you guys thinking? Um, I have it broken down like piece by piece. So the blind cab driver didn't think that was funny, unnecessary mm-hmm. ableism. Just let's move on. Mm-hmm. Um, the Israel and Georgia trade places was hilarious to me. Mm-hmm. And then we rolled into the age of consent, which I mean is relevant because I feel like our world is actually like approaching a point where that would be not something that's on TV as like a funny joke. But something that would be like, like in TLC the news on TLC, shit. like <laughs> I'm dating a seven year old and my I'm 47, my eight year old GF. Like, that's how it feels to me. Yeah, and it was gross. But I think yeah. that it was valuable to put that in there so we can keep track of that type of, I don't know, behavior, just general weirdness and media mm-hmm. throughout the time. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing reminds me of buzzfeed it feels like it was like a buzzfeed youtube skit wow yeah i mean all things considered i was glad this one was over when it was the uh Mm. the whole bit 
Um, but I did like, yeah, I think we're on the same page there. Georgia and Israel trading places was was the highlight. Didn't do anything for me. No. Wasn't a big fan of the film. Uh, and I like Albert Brooks generally. I mean, as much as anybody can like Albert Brooks. Who's a big Albert Brooks fan? Yeah, Come Albert Brooks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like, you know, when I hear the name Albert Brooks, I'm like, yeah, that's a funny guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not like I, I don't dislike him by any means. Uh, but this almost, you know, it wasn't as bad as the Muppets thing, but it's it's still Saturday Night Live. Uh, kind of trying things out. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, this is definitely a format that they'll keep. They will continue to make these short digital films going forward, uh, and they'll be, in my opinion, much better than this going forward. But I mean, you got to start somewhere. And I, you know, it, it kind of fit the tone of the show. Uh, you know, Saturday Night Live is trying to be like a cool show. It's trying to be a bit of an edgy show, I think. Uh, at least that's the vibe I'm getting. And, um, you know, I, I guess it kind of it fit in with the aesthetic. Mm-hmm. I would have watched more of it than another George Carlin bit. All right. Now, Bee Hospital, a bunch of male bees awaiting the births of their babies. It's pretty much the whole male cast uh, roaming about as, as individual members of the female cast uh, come in with uh, little baby bees. Um, this is quick. It's weird. It's the debut of the bees. Um, like the Muppets get used to the bees. They're sticking around for a bit. I liked it. Yeah, I, I was into this. I thought I, it was, I, I, you know, the guys, I thought they, they're playing off each other really well. They're, you know, they're, oh, the excitement. And every time another drone came out, I, I thought it was funny. And it was, this was like a classic SNL skit that yeah. I feel like they could have done this skit like in the, in the eighties, in the nineties. This is, this feels like classic SNL humor I, I think they nailed it here it's just because it's short it doesn't overstay its welcome it's cute it's clever and uh everybody is having a good time with it it's exactly i think it's what helps snl succeed i loved it i thought it was so cute and by the end of the episode i was when they were like the next episode and then they're like it's a queen i was like yes honey i want to see episode number two show me that queen girl <laughs> <laughs> and then we go to a, a commercial it's uh, the ABC School uh, How to uh, How to Answer Phones Professionally. This one has Gilda Radner and uh, guest star or guest appearance by uh, announcer Wendell Craig. Um, I think Craig's voice is used a few times in the first season. Um, this one was fun. It was a, a nice, quick showcase of uh, of, of of Radner's less zany uh, self. I think it was funny. Um, skilled phone answers just. It's something that's always going to hit, especially if you've worked in a call center. You'll be like, I can relate to this. So I thought it was thought it was cute. I thought it was funny. I liked it. Matt? Yeah, I also, it's, as you mentioned, Keith, it's nice to see Gilda. Because I, uh, I associate, when I hear Gilda Radner, uh, I almost, you know, I, I see the big hair and the zany character. So I love the opportunity to see her do more subtle things. She was a good actress. What a shame. What a big star she was going to be yeah i agree then we go to uh, valerie uh, bromfield um like i said former collaborator with dan Aykroyd. um she does a school teacher routine here i uh didn't work for me on any level i i don't really have a lot to say i just didn't think it was funny it was just bad stand-up that's all i saw it was so awkward like i loved her energy but i don't know it was just awkward i didn't care for it you know, um, Billy Crystal got cut for this piece. What? Yeah. 
Billy Crystal had a six-minute thing. I think it was, uh, I read somewhere, it was a Victor Mature walking through the desert. They cut him down to two minutes to fit this in, I think. And uh, his managers were like, we can't do it in two minutes. Good for him. Yeah. So Billy Crystal was scheduled to be on the first episode of this. And, uh, I mean, you can't, you know, don't. Throw it away for Valerie. Better things to come for Mr. Crystal. Better things to come. Yeah. I mean, you can't hate Valerie for it, but. uh, no. Jesus. You know. <laughs> um, and Carlin's last stand-up, I, I don't know if we even have to go into it anymore. It's it's just a bit about, uh, it's it's more of his religion-style stuff. Again, uh, ditto from before. I thought it was good, but not Carlin's best. What about that show us your guns, that clip of where the music is playing, and oh, yeah. you see a bunch of people holding guns, and it's like pretty much everybody, like from old people to just anyone, like... It's it's so relevant and it's so ridiculous. <laughs> I can't I can't believe it. Yeah, I'm, I, I should. I, I'm, I'm kind of sad. I skipped that. Thanks for pointing that out because that was uh, that was almost where where comedy's so right on that it's almost tragic, really. <laughs> well put. That could have been shot last week. Literally. That was a yeah, just kind of a short movie. That was fun. I I, I liked it, but I, again, it was like how little we've changed, right? Really. We're into uh, Billy Preston, fancy lady. It was wicked. Shit, yeah. I love this guy. Uh, you know what? It reminds me a lot of you know I'm a big Frank Zappa guy, and mm. this is uh, it reminds me of uh, I don't know if any uh, Keith or D if you know who George Duke is. I got George Duke vibes off this guy. For anybody who knows who George Duke is, he was a jazz musician in the right. 70s that played with Frank Zappa. Anyway, it was it was a hit. I loved it. I don't know why this guy, you know, I was going to say, why, why why wasn't this guy a bigger star? He was almost in the fucking Beatles. What the hell do I know? Um, but, you know, he's not, uh, you know, he, he didn't go on to, to continue to be a household name. He was obviously an accomplished, accomplished man. But you know yeah, what? Maybe it was a sign of the times. Maybe it's a sign of the times because, you know, as we're going to see from SNL, music is about to go in a very different direction. So, mm-hmm. you know, what do I know? But I know that this performance was great. And I, I there were some personal demons there as well. Um, oh, I see. Yeah. And his the, the guest vocalist, a woman by the name of Cyrita, who I've she heard of amazing. before. She She was the ex-wife of Stevie Wonder. Really? Well, and the co-writer of Stevie Wonder, Signed, Sealed, and Delivered. Super. She doesn't have to work anymore. No, I am. Super. uh, One of these, like she was. I mean, again, it's like saying Billy Preston didn't make it, but she was a Motown, hardworking, well-respected Motown person who who didn't. I mean, she did very well for herself, but uh, probably could have been at the level of like a Diana Ross. Or, or Keith, Aretha Franklin. Keith, if I may make a re- recommendation <laughs> to you, sorry. Yeah. Um, there is uh, there's a Frank Zappa song about why a lot of these black performers uh, did not become the sensations that their talent should have dictated. Mm. Uh, I recommend you check it out. It's called Nigbiz. Okay. And it is uh, it's scathing and it's accurate. And a lot of these black artists were taken advantage of by record labels. Mm. Uh, okay. Yeah, it, it's a shame. And I'm not saying this happened here. I don't, know, no. I don't know anything about it. But I know that a lot of these, uh, that a lot of very talented performers were left behind in the wake of record company greed. 
as far as the uh, Billy Preston see above, right? Uh, just so much fun. Um, so our next one is simulated assault and burglary, where uh, Dan Aykroyd and, and his partner later uh, Garrett Morris break in on Belushi and Ratner to show how much the family needs security. Aykroyd is at his fast-talking salesman peak in this one. I enjoyed it. Yes, uh, I enjoyed it. Dan Aykroyd is my favorite, let it Mm. be known, of the original cast. I think that guy is an amazing performer. Uh, And you know what? He's really eccentric. He's going to get far out as he gets older. But uh, this young Dan Aykroyd works for me. This, this is my style of comedy. I guess I don't really have anything to say about this. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was funny. I thought it was salesman humor. So anybody who has ever done sales in their life can definitely relate to this and find the humor in it. But it, was, it wasn't my favorite. Dan Aykroyd is really going to master this character. I think this is, uh, this is him, you know, trying this on. He, th- this character... Uh, is going to sell us toys later, and it's going to be legendary. But yeah, I think this is an important sketch. Um, The next one I have is the ad for the uh, Triple Track Razor. I grew up with these commercials, um, and they're still on today. And uh, Andrew Duncan is the announcer, and he basically talks about, you know, how blades pull the hair out and cut it and whatnot. And uh, then says, you know, was it if you'll buy this, you'll buy anything or something like that. Uh, suggesting that uh, these blade razor blade commercials are not on the level. I'm pretty sure it was Al Franken playing the caveman. Um, and Al Franken, of course, uh, decades and decades with, uh, with Saturday Night Live and later became a U.S. senator. It was clever. I think that nothing has changed when it comes to razor commercials. <laughs> <laughs> I respect them, but also I'm not going to shave anymore. I'm just joking. But I do, I do think it was really funny. Yeah, I thought it was cute, too. It's like it's very indicative, again, of, uh, you know, the kind of late night. This is like really like last third of SNL style commercial comedy. Yeah. And uh, the final segment of the night, Janice Ian singing in the winter. This song isn't as well known as at 17, but uh, nice little tune. Probably a good way to end the evening. I mean, I thought it was a curious and, you know, I mentioned earlier that I thought at 17 was perfectly placed within the show. I don't mind. I did, I did not find that a, uh, a jarring change of pace at all, and uh, I just loved everything about it. To end the show with this was definitely, I mean, that's a choice, right? That is a conscious choice. We're going to end the show with Janice Ian. So I got to think that, like, like, what are they thinking? What are they thinking when, when are they like, we want to go, we want this to be classy, are we trying to be classy? Because it feels like they may be trying to be classy. It's certainly not teenage rock and roll by any means. I don't mm. know what they're going for here. I, I got as much as I liked and enjoyed the placement of the first performance of the show. And I liked this performance. Don't get me wrong. Curious and questionable decision to end the show. Janice Ian. I would have been mad. If I had seen this at the time, like you're watching this show, everything's banging. And then the end comes and Janice comes out with her depressing ass, slow ass music again. It's definitely one out of ten. And I'm just like, Janice, honey, like this doesn't belong at the end of Saturday Night Live. And I don't know if it is Janice's fault, but I would like to assume that she had some amount of choice over which song she played. And I did not care for it. I wondered, is Janice Ian like you know one of these Nora Jones types who just really doesn't play anything fast you know <laughs> um it's gotta be something yeah 
I've heard a few Janicean songs. I mean, I didn't listen to her album start to finish, but I think I've heard more than the average person. Oh. And uh, it's it's pretty it's pretty standard, like seventy straightforward rock. I mean, I think she's obviously a talented performer. I don't think there's any like big songwriting hits or anything in there. It's you know you you tap into an aesthetic. You know, the people that like the Virgin Suicides much later in life are going to be going back and thinking about this romanticized thing. We're at the end of the show here. You know, to me, this whole thing felt like, except for the ads, but if I was in the live audience and watching what was happening live, it definitely has like a 60s, 70s coffeehouse vibe to me. Yeah, and, if I was seeing it live, I could see how that could tie back around for you. But mm-hmm. watching it this many years later on TV... I guess it's easy to say, like, why did you make this choice? But as yeah. an audience member, I, I can totally see how that would fly. Let's rate the host. Um, how did you guys feel about Carlin? George Carlin was a 3 out of 10 for me. Mm-hmm. It felt misplaced. Uh, it felt like for your very first show, somebody should have been introducing what was going to happen next. Um, maybe that's a weird expectation to have of a show that hasn't been on before prior mm-hmm. to this moment. I felt like he wasn't even involved in the show. They could have just filmed him at any different hour, and it could have not been live. I think uh, his first episode, this was the first episode of Saturday Night Live. So I'm going to go ahead and give George Carlin 4 out of 10. Did not entertain me at all, but did not ruin the show. Sure, it's Carlin. Not Carlin's best. I mean, Carlin's worst is still better than a lot of options, but he just didn't seem to be firing all, on all cylinders for me. I will give him a five as the host. Um, if it was just Carlin, it'd be a seven. Um, Carlin's ability is like, a th- as far as Carlin performance, it'd be like three out of ten. So I'll just, I'll average that out as five. Passable host. Yeah, let's rate the music. Uh, Billy Preston. Ten out of ten for me. I loved it. I'll say it again. It was Black Joy. It's exactly what I needed from the music. Billy Preston. 10 out of 10 Saturday Night Live performance. Energy, style, uh, hipness, everything I want in a late night television performance. Yeah, can't disagree. It was a lot of fun. He also wrote uh, the song You Are So Beautiful. You know, the Joe Cocker. No you way. are so beautiful yeah. too. Yeah. Uh, Janice Ian. I, I still really like Janice Ian. I think her at 17 performance was a 10. I thought that was a, an excellent live performance. I thought her second live performance was in a really poor context. Uh, so, you know, but I mean, it's not her fault. She performed capably. Uh, I think Dee mentioned something before about what did, did you say? What was she thinking? It's not up to her. She's just gonna, she's gotta take her shot. She's gotta be on TV. They're letting her be on TV. I mean, when is she going to be not on TV? I wanted something more high energy. Like, get your bag, girl. But I want something more high energy. Well, these There's people nothing. are told what to do, though. This is not Janice Ian's decision. Uh, I wonder years. about that. I mean, there was there was a bit more freedom back there then. There has to be some amount of but, freedom. Like, I, I think you guys are giving like, the music industry a okay. lot of credit. Well, the music industry is a shithole. <laughs> people are trotted out and told what to play. You play the hits, and this is going to be okay. your single. Whatever choice it was, it didn't bring it the energy shit that choice. I wanted. Shit choice. Don't think it was Janice Ian's. I am averaging Janice Ian out at a 7 out of 10. Get your bag, Janet. Get your bag. <laughs> she was fantastic, but it was oddly, it was an odd fit for this new comedy show. So now we'll go with uh, the worst bit of the night. What was the absolute, you know, what was the drizzling shits of this show? 
George Carlin was the worst part of this show for me. This did not work for me. And I hated his segments. They took too long. And I mean, there was too many of them. It should have been what's her face with the, you know, the the other fucking awful stand-up bit, which was worse than any of George Carlin's stand-up bits. But George Carlin had too many of these shitty stand-up bits. So he gets Matt Ryan's vote as the drizzling shits of this first episode, George Carlin. I hate to say it, but like the puppets get remove me from saturday night live didn't do it for me again i love the puppets i love puppetry i will appreciate it it had no place here in this first episode so it was not funny i have it in like stars i was like capital letters this is not fucking funny to me so that's a <laughs> yeah for me it's either uh valerie bromfield or the muppets so now uh, the bit, uh, the bit of the night, segment, skit, joke, whatever, uh, just you know, your favorite moment of the show or your favorite segment of the show. My favorite segment of the show was our, uh, and you know, maybe it's because of the promise of things to come, but uh, the highlight of the show for me was the was the security sketch uh with with dan Aykroyd as our salesman i don't know it's just what got what got to me the most it's the one that made me laugh the most it's the one i thought showed the most promise it's the one that made me excited for things to come this was my favorite part of the show for me it was annie kaufman's mighty mouse like i'll never get over it that was peak comedy to me um i just loved it i just loved it if i can think about something later and still laugh about it it's good nothing else on the list did that for me i totally get what you're saying it was definitely funnier than let's say my choice i think my choice is probably clouded by like i know that like this is going to be some classic i got my choice was like really i got classic snl vibes from it and i have a lot of nostalgia for the show which i think seeing a sketch like that and knowing how much they refine it in the future i, I think that clouds my judgment andy kaufman was funnier there's no doubt about that I, I'm I'm with D too on this one, uh, Mighty Mouse. I, I've watched I've watched the episode twice now. Mighty Mouse to me was just as good the first time as it was the second. And I mean, I say first time, but I've seen that bit probably forty or fifty times over the years. Um, and your uh, your star of the night, who's the MVP of this episode? I felt like Chevy Chase brings like I don't know some type of comfort to the show. Mm -hmm. some type of base level comedy that you can kind of expect. And I wish there was more of him in this first episode. I think he's so handsome, <laughs> but I really, uh, yeah, Chevy chase for me, even though he didn't get as much screen time as I would have liked. That's a good uh, Chevy. I, I felt that also, because uh, to look at Chevy chase, especially this young Chevy chase uh, to look at him in this is like, he's just, he makes me laugh to look at him. He's so good at the physical, physical comedy the, the the shuffling the stumbling around he's so lanky uh you know and he became a star for a reason and i he does have that magnetism that does make you want to see more of that's him. a handsome man honey yeah <laughs> my star of the night if we're removing music would be dan Aykroyd. my star of the night too is uh is dan Aykroyd. okay originally i'd written actually michael o'donohue for that <laughs> goofy thing with chevy the the jam it all commercial and the uh the first line and just sort of thinking of what he may have, what he most likely had his hand in writing. But uh, Aykroyd sort of blew him out of the water with that last skit and his contributions throughout the show. 
Uh, overall, so, what do I think about the very first episode of Saturday Night Live? I do think it shows a lot of promise. I love the aesthetic. Uh, I I do think, and I think it's going to become obvious, no spoilers, obviously, but I think it's going to become obvious that they're going to try a lot of things to see if they work. And uh, a lot of it's not going to, but I do think you see a, a broad palette of that in the first episode, certainly more than you're going to see in the second episode. Like, if I rate this as a, you know, if we, we look at Saturday Night Live all time, what would you rate this episode? Uh, if I went at a five, I'd be like, eh, two and a half stars at a five for me on the all-time Saturday Night Live list. Just because it's first doesn't mean it's any good. Does show a lot of promise. A lot of people don't know what they're doing. 2.5 out of 5 for me on the first episode. No, I went 2.5 out gonna of 5. I'm going to give it a 2 out of 5. 2 okay. And a D. If I had put this episode on today, not knowing that it was Saturday Night Live, this is just a, my first introduction to it, I don't think I would have put the show on again. I would have appreciated the music, but I really don't see that I would have put that show back on again. I like the aesthetic a lot, um, but if I was trying to watch it for comedy, I don't think I would have turned it back on. Do you think you would have felt the same if you watched it when it aired originally? That's what I'm thinking about, if it aired originally. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I don't think I would have watched it again. Really? We even went, if it Especially aired if it ended on that uh, musical note, I might have turned it back on to give it like another chance. But like mm-hmm. right off the bat, no, not like I get it. It's an impossible question to answer. I understand that, too, of course. Yeah, for me, I'm going three point five out of five. A um, little little bit generous. Um, but the skeletons there, uh, you have that iconic Andy Kaufman moment. It's easy to forgive sins in a pilot. I, I mean, I don't know what I would have thought the night of, but all these years later, looking back and seeing that what's there is kind of there. Big bonuses for, uh, you know, Billy Preston. I think I enjoyed Carlin more than, than you guys, which helps. And would you like to know what the IMDb users have given this episode? Yes, please. Yep. A 75 they're really generous. Too generous. Much too generous. This is not a 7.5. If this is a 7.5, then my gosh, they must think what comes later is some sort of mind-shattering comedy brilliance. <laughs> like, there is no perspective here for that rating whatsoever. Is it? Is it extra points for being the pilot? Yeah, maybe. And you know what? You know how I feel about George Carlin, but I think a lot of people are like, it's George Carlin, so it's just good because it's George Carlin. And I I think there's a lot of that nonsense, too. Yeah, and I I mean, I like this episode more than you guys did, and uh, I only gave it a seven. That means somebody out there is giving this nines and tens. But things are going to change. We've got 40-some years to go. I can't wait. I'm ready. (laughs) So just a sort of... SN hell. SN hell. Just sort of an epilogue what happened to these guys. Uh, George Carlin does come back later in the show. Billy Preston does not come back, but his song You Are So Beautiful does come back in both straight and parody forms. Okay. We don't get to see Janice Ian again, and uh, Valerie uh, Valerie Bromfield does come back um, for a... Valerie night. better bring it on her next... <laughs> <laughs> on her next appearance because no Valerie. So for the uh, featured performers, we lose Janice, Ian, and Billy Preston, and we keep George Carlin and Valerie, and Valerie which uh, probably sounds like SN hell <laughs> to you guys. <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, thank you very much, guys. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you very much, everyone, for joining us for episode one of SN Hell, which naturally covered episode one of Saturday Night Live, or NBC's Saturday Night. Our next episode, we'll look at episode two, where Paul Simon is both the host and the musical guest, and he's joined by a few friends and collaborators. We had a great time putting this together, and I hope you uh, enjoyed hearing it as well. And hopefully we'll see you next time in SN Hell.